Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. I hope you've had a great week thus far and all is well. Uh, again, I'm hearing great reports of things that are happening and, and people's lives that are being touched uh, through these video castings that we're doing. And I thank the Lord for that, that His Word is, is going out and lives are being touched and transformed, getting some very positive uh, feedback from others that uh, maybe wouldn't normally be in a, in a church service with us, uh, but they are plugging in or, or uh, listening to these videos and, and God's touching and encouraging, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, no, no real big announcements at this point. I want to quickly get into the Word of the Lord. Uh, last few weeks, or last two weeks, it's third week now, we've been talking about, uh, from the, or talking uh, from the book of James. I started with uh, verse 1. Uh, last week we closed it out, I think, around verse 4, the ending part of verse 4. And uh, the conclusion of the matter really was verse uh, 5 and 12, which is where I wanted to get to. But uh, I was a little slow in getting to that last week. And uh, maybe this week we can maybe conclude it or, or get to those points. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be reading out of James chapter 1. And uh, I'll pick up with verse 4. Uh, as you're making that ready, I want us to pray before we get started that the Lord would help us. Jesus, I ask you right now for your help, your anointing to flow. I thank you for the presence that I feel right here, right now. And I pray, God, that this presence I feel would go to where they are. Manifest yourself in every home, every living room, everyone that is a part of this, viewing this. I pray your blessings and favor. Let your word penetrate our heart, God. Let it not just be another time that we take up, but let it be with such great purpose in your word. I ask you today, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James chapter 1. And starting uh, tonight for verse 4, again, you can go back and, and get those clips. I think they're archived. Uh, verse 2 and 3 is where we really dug down on. Verse 4, it says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Skip down to verse 12. I'll maybe touch on 10 and 11 if I get to it, but 12 is where I want to conclude if I get there. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that loved him. Go back up to verse 4, and that's where we're going we're gonna to take off tonight. James is, is trying to encourage uh, the people. And again, as I spoke in the beginning, he's the pastor of the Jerusalem church, commonly known. And uh, he is trying to encourage his flock that when they go through temptations, which in this case was trials, we talked about calamities and uh, persecutions, when you go through it, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Count it was the word we translated into uh, concern, judgment, or to judge, I'm sorry, judge or uh, be concerned with or evaluate, all synonymous terms defining to count. 
And he's trying to encourage his people and his flock that uh, when these things begin to come and temptations begin to come, that you can trust God through all of this and God's going to keep you and God's going to help you. Those are in verses 2 through 4. Then he begins to emphasize uh, the wisdom or the need for wisdom in, in verse 5. But in verse 4 he begins to say, but let patience, let patience, that word patience, I think I described it last time or defined it. If I didn't, let me do it again. It means endurance, a steadfastness. It's a steadfastness under certain situations. That particular word uh, in the original Greek comes from a Greek word, hupo or hypostasis, uh, and I'm probably not pronouncing it right. I can spell it for you if you want me to put my glasses on. I can spell it. I got it wrote down. Uh, but the word hupo is very, very key, and it's a tremendous study. Maybe later down the road I'll get into it in more detail. The word H-U-P-O, the prefix to the rest of that Greek word, means under. And what he's trying to say is when you get under the load, or rather the load is on you and you come under this, you, you submit to it. Remember I, I began to speak in verse 3 that it was a transitional statement or a beginning of a transitional of verse 3. Paul, uh, James, I'm sorry. James says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That was his transitional statement. He's saying you go into, or calamities come, trials come, but then verse 3, knowing this, it was a relationship, knowing to know him. I referred to uh, some writings in Paul and I think Peter, I forget, I don't have those notes in front of me. You can go back and, and, and pull them up. But it was a transitional statement of relationship. That when these things begin to come into you and I or come to us, that we have to transition and depend on our relationship with God to get us through. So now in verse 4, he's transitioning one more time again, and he's using the word patience, meaning steadfastness, or hupo, I come underneath. He is now showing us another component of these temptations, trials, calamities, that you and I come underneath it, but there is a steadfastness that you and I have to hold to in the midst of this. I've said it many times, and uh, you've probably said this. It's not an unfamiliar, uh, maybe cliche or saying, that when you pray and ask God to, God, remove this from me. Paul did this. He said, I've got a thorn in the flesh, and I prayed and sought the Lord three times that he would remove this thorn from my flesh. And the Lord's response back to him was, my grace was sufficient. So the lesson that Paul was trying to show you and I is that when you seek the Lord about a specific, uh, a, a specific situation, uh, you've you got to understand if that situation does not go away, then God has got it there for a reason. If, if you pray and ask God to relieve you of your burden or relieve you of your trial or this situation, I know in situations of my life I've prayed and said, God, Take this away from me. I can think of situations right now in my own life that I've been praying for for over 20 years that God would remedy this, fix this, course correct this, change this, whatever it may be. And I'm still 20 some odd years praying, God, let it be done. But I've learned or change it. And when it doesn't happen, the lesson I've learned is, is I'm growing stronger and more steadfast in my faith. Now we started this lesson gearing or, or focusing on the process. 
because it was the process of the faith. It was uh, the objective in you going through the process. Number one, that my faith is being refined or my faith is being matured in the process. But it's what I do in the process. Well, one of the components in the process is is when I ask God for these things to, to go away and take it away from me and it doesn't, then I need to shift gears in my thinking, my evaluating, my considering where I am in relationship to God and reevaluate this and judge it and say, okay, God, are you trying to do something in me that I previously did not see? That's a hard, that's a hard decision. That's a hard coming to knowledge of. It's kind of like Christ on the cross. He had the power to come off of that cross. He had all power in heaven. He could have done anything, but he did not. And I preach a message, or I, maybe I have um, it in, at home. I, I'm not sure. Maybe in the past I have, but when God chooses to stay. What do you do when God doesn't respond to your prayer? Well, this is what James is trying to talk to his people about, that, that there's going to be stuff you're going to go through, and God might not get you out of the trouble. He will give you a steadfastness to go through the trouble. He may not pull you out and make your world bliss and perfect and everything well again, but if you just ask Him, and that's where I'm going to get to in verse 5. I'm, I'm jumping the gun here and wanting to get ahead. But if you and I will ask Him, He will respond in that place. But if I understand in verse 4, He's saying, For patience, but let patience, let the steadfastness, in other words, submit to the process. And, and I guess uh, maybe I might not get to the end of this because I can just feel a, a strong nudge right there with that statement. That's the hardest place for me in the midst of a trial. The hardest thing for me to do is submit to the process. You know, you can think as a kid when you and, you and I maybe were growing up and we were just children and, uh, hey, man, I, I know 10, 15, maybe 10 years old, 12 years old, things uh, wasn't conducive to what I wanted. And, and you and I would, would pout about it or we'd get frustrated or a young child uh, pitches a fit because they can't have their way. Well, you know what? Sometimes, just as parents, my parents held fast to what they knew was for my better good and not give in to me. God does the same thing for you and I. He's really after our better good. He's after maturing us and molding us and shaping us that we become more like Him. So when the trial and the storm comes, sure, God could reach down and pull you and I out. He could change it. I believe God's able to do the impossible. I believe God can change. I read in some of our Bible reading a couple weeks back about Him changing the heart of Saul. If God can change the heart of Saul and He says the heart of the king is in my hand, I put one up, I put one down, God can change and do anything. So if I understand He can, but He chooses not to, can I allow the process of my faith being refined and sharpened and being proven steadfast? Can I allow my, can I come to my senses and say, I'm going to come under hypostasis. I'm going to come under this trial. I'm going to submit to whatever God's trying to do in the trial of my faith and the trying of my faith. It's a surrender of self-will. And many times this is where the line begins to divide. 
And, and later on, he begins to talk about a double-minded man. What he's talking about is the pressure of this begins to come and you and I make a choice. We deviate. Either I keep my mind single on the will of God and the purpose of God and what God is trying to do and I grow into a mature Christian and say, God's not doing this to destroy me. He's doing this to help me that I would become more like Him. But a double-minded, the word double-mind means two souls. I thought that's just a powerful definition. Two souls. Well, if you know what the soul is, it's the mind and the emotions and the will of man. A double-minded man is one that's got two. He's got one that wants to do and trust God. Then there's another part of him that don't want to trust God. He wants to lean to his own devices and his own will, his own manufacturing, his own manipulating. That's what Jacob did. He manipulated and made it fit what he wanted. Well, he had a lesson he had to learn. Took him many years, 20 some odd years to learn the lesson, but God eventually changed him. God's going to get one way or the other what he wants out of you and I. We determine how fast it's going to happen. I can let it prolong and go on and on and on, and I keep having to take test and trial after trial after trial uh, over and over, or I can just submit to the will of God in whatever he's trying to prove in me or make me more steadfast. Folks, if you look at the, the from, a, from an eschatology perspective or a, a picture of the coming of the Lord and how the church fits in all of this and uh, end time dispensations and uh, the churches of latest, all that, if you look at it in a, in a big picture, the coming of the Lord is what all this thing is leading up to. And what he does is he allows these trials and these storms to come to give us a steadfastness that right before the coming of the Lord when tribulations maybe are the greatest or struggles are the greatest, right before his coming, you will have faith that will be steadfast. That when things happen in the earth and things happen, this is before his coming, right before his coming, that when these things, your heart is not stricken with fear. Folks, if there has ever been an epidemic, it's not a pandemic of corona, it's an epidemic of fear. We are fearful. Our minds are full of fear. The day we wake up, we're full of fear. We're, we're fearful what's going to happen with the government. We're fearful what's going to happen with the economy. We're fearful what's going to happen if the grocery stores close down. And I'm not just talking about corona because none of that's really happening right now. But if that would come down the road, and uh, I've used the illustration, what happens if some virus that there's no cure comes out and they start shutting all of these things down for real? Fear is going to grip the hearts of people. If you think fear came with corona, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's only going to intensify the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. So then if you look at it from that perspective, then you understand why you and I go through what we go through now. He's trying to stand fast. He's trying to make our, uh, he uses patience, but he's trying to make our faith steadfast and enduring that it doesn't matter what comes against you and I, trial, persecution, problem, situation, when that day comes, whether it be a crisis down the road, whether it be things in the world get worse before they get better, I don't know. I'm not being a doomsday a preacher here. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm trying to challenge your thinking and my thinking as the Holy Ghost has begun to bring me to these things. I see now why I go through what I go through. He's trying to make my faith 
steadfast that I come under it and say, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buckle under this. How many times has you and I said, I've taken as much as I can take. How many of you have said that? Said, if I get one more thing come against me, I don't think I can handle it. I said it. God, if you let one more thing come at me, I don't know how much I'm going to buckle. If you and I have said that, here's what you... Count it joy. How? Because you don't have to do it. You're not going to buckle. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. What he's trying to show you and I, you don't have to carry this load. You turn back to a relationship with him and as you come under this and submit to whatever God's trying to do in the trial or the, the crisis, my submission is the answer to my deliverance. My willingness to surrender my will and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why I have to go through what I'm going through. But whatever it is that has caused this to come into my life, this trial, this problem, all this craziness going on in my life, no sooner I get this problem taken care of, another problem pops up. No sooner I get this kid taken care of, this kid goes crazy. No sooner I get my kids taken care of, my marriage goes crazy. No sooner I get my marriage getting fixed and all worked out, my in-laws go crazy. My mother-in-law, my, my mom and dad, my aunt, my uncle, all these things, my job. And it's like you're constantly putting one fire out to another. Here's, he's trying to encourage you and I that there's a steadfastness he's building and all it takes is me surrendering. Hoopo, coming under what he's trying to do. Come under it. Don't fight it. Don't try to, when you've prayed and it don't leave, then you need to make up in your mind as I make up in my mind, God, you've allowed this for a reason. Now I want you to show me how I can get your purpose out of this. I heard one old elder preacher told me years ago, he told this to my wife and I. He said, when troubles and trials and problems come to you, he said, you need to ask God, what are you doing in this? What's your purpose, God? And whatever the purpose is that he reveals to you in that answer, your next statement is, now give me the strength to work with you in accomplishing the purpose. Because I don't want to take the test again. I know some people that are still in first grade. I don't want to be in first grade. I, I want to graduate from grade to grade. I wrote this down in talking about James's introduction in 4 and going on to 5. He offers encouragement in the trials assuming that they would, their endurance would lead them to a greater maturity. That's what verse 2 and 4 is all about. I'm giving you the summation of it. He's, he's assuming that, that as he's encouraging them that, that this trial is going to lead them to a greater level of maturity and steadfastness in their walk with God in that particular moment. Faith in the withstanding or the steadfastness of the test and the process is what's going to produce the resounding faith that I need down the road. I want to come back and teach about it maybe later date, maybe uh, for Sunday. I don't know. I'm, I'm praying about it. But the whole Jacob and Esau story, it, it connects to this. Short-sightedness. Do I look at today's temporal gratifications 
and forget the, the, the eternal picture? Or do I look at today's decision based upon an eternal picture that's coming down the road? I don't know about you, but I want the eternal picture to forever be in my face. That every decision I make today is with, a, is with an eternal significance. I want every contact I make, every, every video here, every sermon that we preach or teach here on, on, on these, these videos, I want it to be with an eternal impact. I'm not just wasting time. I pray you feel the same. You're not, I believe your time is valuable. We say, well, you know, well, we don't really have a whole lot to do. Well, here's the thing. You're still taking time to watch this. I want it to be valuable. I want it to be eternally impacting that you and I can leave from these moments that the Holy Ghost is talking to us and we can leave here and tomorrow when it comes, whatever decision I make, I make it with a steadfastness in an eternal picture. That I make it with a determination in my heart heart and in my mind that I'm going to live for God with all of my heart. I want God to know that I'm, I'm with you, God. I'm for you. I, I submit to whatever you want. And my will is not the primary focus. His will is all that master, matters. I don't know who may be partaking of this, but let me make this statement for whosoever will. Could it be that the calamities of life could change for you and for I with one decision of self-will. We want many people, we want certain people to fix our problems. I want the government to fix our problems. I want, I want this to fix it. I want my mom and my dad to fix it. I want uh, my, my spouse to fix it. And really the only thing that could ever fix it is a complete surrender to the will of God in the midst of the calamity. Couldn't it not be that the calamity that comes, based with James, I ascribe that yes, Calamities come to mature us. It comes that we would turn and look to Him who is our help. We've turned to things that are not our help. We've turned to substance abuse. We turn to uh, uh, anger. We turn to uh, trivial, uh, carnal things to try to substitute the, the vacancy and the void in our heart when it would only take one self-surrender and some calamities could be over. I, I propagate it as this. Your graduation day could come. What you face for years that you've never been able to get over. One self-surrender in prayer. God, I'm going to come under this. Maybe you're doing this to save me. Maybe you're allowing this to happen to shake me. Maybe I'm double-minded. And God's trying to get me single-minded that my mind, my will, my emotions are focused on Him and not I'm torn with two minds and two wills. One part of me knows there's a God, but there's another part of me I can't trust Him. I wish I could get an amen right now. This is the hard part about preaching because that would be about an amen for many people because my mind is torn in 50 million directions. I, I want to do this. I want to do that. I, I want to be pleasing unto Him. But I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my mind. I know there's a God. I know He's real. I know God wants to help me. I know He, he wants to help me through all of this stuff. But I'm struggling in trusting Him. I'm struggling in trying to believe that this storm is for my good. That's so hard for me. 
Maybe, maybe you, you've mastered that. Maybe, uh, you know, and really if your answer is yes to that, I would maybe even reevaluate that answer. Because so many times we, we ask the question, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. When really we're not doing great. And that's good that you're being positive and I like that and I appreciate that. But we got to be careful that we don't do, oh, everything is great when things really are not great and we won't take that to God and tell God the truth. <laughs> it's one time, maybe it's okay for you to lie to your brother, but let's don't lie to God and be honest and say, God, my mind is struggling. My mind is, is facing things that I don't understand. James gives us the answer. He says, let your patience have a mature work that ye may be mature and entire, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Now we come to the kicker. Now we come to another transitional moment. We understand that the trial of my faith is not to destroy me. It's not to hurt me. It's not because God don't like me. It's because God's trying to mature me. It's because God's trying to make me into the man of God, the woman of God, the saint of God, the, the Bible study teacher of God that you and I need to be in this. I'm not a, That word there does not mean perfect like you and I think. I got to be perfect. I got to do it right. That does not give me and you license to just through call. Well, God don't expect me to be perfect so I can just blab off at the mouth and hurt people. That's not what he's saying either. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not putting a prerequisite on you or a demand on you that I know you can't meet. You can't be perfect, but you can mature and allow the work of pressure the work of the crisis, the work of what I've allowed to come in your life that you prayed for me to take away that I cannot take away because your purpose is that great. I'm telling you, if we ever get this revelation and vision, I promise you we will enter every trial and every situation totally different. We will enter it in with a heart that says, God, no, it's not comfortable. But when I come to God, I see, that's the beauty about coming to Him in prayer. You can be honest. I come to him and say, God, it's not comfortable. It does not feel good. I don't like what I'm going through. But I know your word enough that if you trust me enough with trouble and you allow me to go through what I'm going through and I prayed and it's not going away, then you've got confidence in me that I can make it through. So now I'm going to turn a calamity into a time of rejoicing and joy and thanksgiving because you see a purpose in me that I can't see in myself. And the enemy knows just how to blind you and I. But we hide behind the, these cloaks of pride. I'm telling you what, calamity comes to break our pride. Calamity comes to break our walls down. Because we put these walls up and we try to propagate to everybody. We know how to act right. We, we got it all together. Our, 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 our dress is right. Our homes are right. But yet inside we're dying inside. We've created a pseudo-Christianity. And that's a lesson inside of itself for another day. But we've created a pseudo. I can pretend to be, 
but never let the wall down and let God get into my heart and into my mind and into my spirit and do the work. Listen, I understand being hurt and I understand people have hurt us. But there's one thing about God. He will never hurt you and I. And He will never let you and I down. So if I can't be totally honest and forthright with people, listen, that's your decision. I got my own way. We, 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 we'll figure it out on our own. But there's one thing me and you can do universally. When I come to God in prayer, I can be totally honest and God's going to love me just like I am. I can tell Him, God, I'm having a bad day. I don't like this trial. I don't like this problem. I don't like what I'm going through. This don't feel good. It don't feel right. It's hurt. It's painful. I can be honest. Just on the heels of that, I got to come to an understanding and a decision that says, okay, you're maturing me. Let me conform to whatever you're trying to do that I don't miss this opportunity and have to take it over and over. Mature me that I can go from first grade to second grade. Mature me that I can go from third grade to fourth grade. Folks, I preach all over this country. And I can tell you time and time again places I've been. And you can look over here. That's first grade. That's 10th grade. That's 12th grade. Every church is at every level, different level. Individuals are at different levels. Here's what I'm propagating. Forget where you are. Just decide I want to move forward. Don't judge yourself. I'm not judging you where you are, what level you're at, where you are, where I'm at. Don't judge me. I don't judge you. We're not judging nobody. Here's what I'm saying. Count it joy. Evaluate yourself where you are right now and say, okay, God, I don't want to stay here next year. When next year comes, 2021, we do this every year, New Year's resolutions. Well, here it is. Let's do another resolution right now. I don't want to be April 27, 2020. When April 27, 2021, I want to look back and say something's different. I changed. I went from first grade to second grade. I went from 10th grade to 12th grade. I went from high school to college. I progressed in my maturity and understanding of what God is and what God wants to do in my life. James says that you made me mature, lacking nothing. I love the last part. He says, that you would be mature, lacking nothing. There's a place you can get to in your relationship with God. In your relationship with Him. That you won't even see what you lack in things. There's a place you can get in prayer with Him. I believe it's... We've advocated or, or alluded to it in, in past. You maybe heard messages. I've, I've talked about it. It's the garden experience all over. You can come to a place in relationship with Him. If you'll surrender, submit, like He said in this place, patience, steadfastness, come under. There's a place you can get to in Him that you're oblivious to the obvious. But you're so enamored by Him. We say it, we sing about it. About being, gee, God, magnify. You're magnified. Proper context for that is this. God can never get no bigger than He already is. God don't grow. He's as big as He's ever going to get. 
that context of those scriptures where it talks about magnification, it's referring to in me. Be magnified in me. Let me see how big you are. It's a matter of perspective. And if I can ever see how big he is, you'll realize there's nothing you're lacking because nothing I need in this earth. There's nothing in this earth I need when I look at it through the eyes of eternity. There's no tangible. These are for comfort, folks. The air conditioner that's blowing on me right now, I thank God for it. The modern conveniences. Look at today. We couldn't even have this video if we wouldn't have technology. Thank the Lord for modern technologies. But you know what? If we didn't have this, could you and I still live for God? What would you do right now if we didn't have none of this technology 40 years ago and there was no church? It happened in 1918. I made reference to this in one of the first messages when that influenza came through, Spanish flu. There was no church. There was no TV, smart TVs. There was no iPhones. And people were saved and stayed saved. We don't like to be discomforted. And God is shaking the church like never before. I, I wish I had, I wish I could see in every one of your eye, faces and eyes at this moment our church family. If there was anything I could say to you face to face, eyeball to eyeball, God's shaking us. Let him have his way. Let him do what he wants to do in me and your life. We're going to make it. It's not, you're not going to lose as long as I stay in his economy. God will perform what he promised he would perform. He will accomplish what he said he would do. The question is, will I surrender to his will and let him do what he wants to do? I wrote this down, three workings of Christian life. First of all, is God for us? He did that on the cross. His salvation. He died on a cross for us to save us. The next one is what He does in us. That's sanctification. That once you receive the gospel message, you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, once you've repented of your sin and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, it's now God in you. Sanctification. But here's the last one. He said, God through us. Evangelism. We are created in Jesus Christ unto good works. So it's Him coming first to us. It's then in us. And then it's through us. That's the work of it. So I know when I've obeyed the gospel, I got that first part. He did it for me. He saved me. But here's where many of us are. It's the work of sanctification. It's Him working in me. This is where first grade, second grade, third grade, He comes working in us. And many times we receive the gospel message. That's kindergarten. But from kindergarten, I've got to continue to the next level, to the sanctification and separation. Little by little, I become less of me and more like Him. First grade, second grade, third. By the time I hit 12th grade, I should look more like Him and less like me. If I still look like myself after living for God for 30 years, something's wrong. 
People should see more of Christ in me. They should see me talking different, acting different. Conduct. My forgiveness should be more fluid. My love should be more fluid. If I'm not loving people more than I did five years ago, my sanctification has stopped and my progression in God has stopped. And therefore, when the coming of the Lord comes and fear strikes this earth like never before, if my faith has not been tried and is steadfast and I'm still depending on a 30-year-old relationship in God, it's going to smite me down and I'm not going to make it. I'm not trying to turn this hard or negative. I'm trying to challenge somebody on a Wednesday night Bible study. The trial is not to destroy you, it's to sanctify you, separate you unto Him that He can say, I approve that one. That one made it through when nobody else could make it through. I believe in them, I trust them. The work of sanctification, Him working through us, the last one, evangelism, unto good works. There should be good works coming out of me in the midst of this trial. Or after the trial. The purpose is getting something to come. That maybe when I come through this. I, let's, let's, again, we're, we're all on a corona thing right now. So let me just kind of join on that, that bandwagon. Because it's the most easiest one to talk about. When we come through this and we congregate together. Am I going to be a Bible study teacher now? If I'm not doing something different after the trial. I question whether the purpose of God was accomplished in it. I've said it like this, and I'm going to be real candid. I'm concerned that through all of this, is it gonna, are we going to allow it to do what it wanted to do or needed to do in us? Did it change me? Did it make me closer to God? Or did I now find myself further from God? Do I find myself close? That's why I said just that little bump last night. I found a closeness in God like I've never found before. I feel an anointing like I have never felt before. I'm, I'm challenging somebody. If we'll dial into this and ask God in these moments, God will give us the strength. We've just got to ask Him and call on Him for it. But when we come out, are we going to be able to say, let me show you my works of what this trial produced. Let me show you how now I'm ready to evangelize. I'm ready to go knock on somebody's door. I'm ready to, to get on the phone and teach somebody a Bible study. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do that. Is there a work from the trial that was produced in me that makes me more like Christ? If I am not, if something didn't come out of it for the good, then why would we go through the, I, it's almost like it was for naught. I'm going to have to take it again. I don't want to take it again. I don't want to take the same class and the same lesson. Maybe today this whole Bible study, y'all need to pardon me. Maybe I'm just preaching and teaching to myself. These are prayers I've prayed every day for 20-something years. I don't want to take the same test again. Give me the strength to, 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 to get a hold to it, come under it, and change me, Jesus. That's what Christianity's all about. Change me. Don't let me be the same I was 20 years ago. Let me be different. Now, I know I'm getting worked up and my veins wanting to pop out. Folks, just pardon me. I just feel so strong in the Holy Ghost. This is an opportunity. We cannot miss the opportunity, the shut-in that we have. If we miss the purpose of trials, the purpose, the purpose of the preciousness of the process. 
We're just going to take it again and again and again and again. I don't want to take it again. I want my faith to be rooted and grounded that God loves me. God cares about me. And my problems and trials and crises and all the junk I'm going through is not because God's against me. It's because God loves me. And he's trying to make me into a better instrument to be used in his will and purpose. If you and I don't get that one statement, then we've missed it all. Our Christianity's in vain. Come to church, do the same old things, go through the motions. We, we just kind of, that's why I ask everybody, change seats when you come back. Don't sit in the same seat. I, I, it's not a mandate. I'm, I'm not saying, and if you don't move your seat, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just reaching for something that something just changes within all of us. That I get the most out of this season of life that we're all in together as a family. So what do you say? When we come to the end of this thing and we come to the close of this thing and it's... Like I read, three works of Christian life. The last one is through us, evangelism. Through Jesus Christ, there's good works. What do you say that when we come through this, there would be some things that we do different that we've never... Maybe we're going to praise God like we've never praised Him before. Maybe we're going to run. Maybe we're going to shout. Maybe we're going to let, not let the pews confine us. Maybe we're going to teach Bible studies. Maybe... Maybe God's been dealing with somebody about teaching Sunday school. Maybe it's just knocking doors, Bible studies. I, I don't know. God knows. Let's let our works prove that I made it through a trial, but I passed the test. <laughs> Come on, I want to pass the test. And the way people are going to know we passed it is we never gave up in the trial, but we let God work through us and it's proven by our works after the trial. I'm telling you, everybody's going to be looking when this corona's over. What are we going to do? There's going to be reports all over the land. I'm not going to compare us to this. What I'm saying is, what's going to be our report when we come back together? I don't know. But I'm praying that it will be such a divine manifestation of God's presence that even the most carnal heart cannot even stand in God's presence. I'm praying for the days of Verbal Bean and Joe Duke to come on us so strong that the power of God would move in our midst, that the most carnal, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. God said it's subject to no law, but the presence of God would come in such a powerful way that it would just fall prostrate. I'm believing for that kind of anointing to move in our midst like never before and shake us to the reality. God is for me. And what I do on this earth, it matters in an eternal picture. Every word I say, every action I take, every place I go, everything I watch, everything I hear. Close your, your ears out to all these voices of people that don't have the voice of God for you. Hear what the Word of God saying to us as a family and let's let God turn us and make us into a body of Christ that He can use in this end time. Well, as you can see, I didn't get to the end of my lesson. I may come back next week and I'll get to verse 5. I got bogged down in 4. I love you. I'm praying for you. Let this Word minister to your heart. Jesus, 
I want you to move on every heart. Let the word of God go forth and shake, transform. Let it touch our heart as it has impacted me. Let it impact people and help us all together as a family become what you want us to be. God bless you.